Sean Lundsberg, thanks for coming in. Um, I think braving the roads uh, on a wet morning. Thank you very much. I do appreciate it. We pain coffee, by the way. So Perfect. I hope the coffee's been okay. I have had Ginger Fox before, so uh, <laughs> I'm not man. complaining. It's wonderful. Uh, <laughs> nice just a shout out. There. Yeah, a little bit of plug. <laughs> okay, I'm be sending you some beans. Um, <laughs> but before we get into this, um, on your LinkedIn page, right, it says psychologist specializing in sports psychology. Yeah. BVP sports psychology, but I believe that's changing. That has changed. Um, in January, my partner and I, we so the BVP sports psychology, Theo Bazano, a little shout out to him as well. Yeah, good man. Yeah, good man. Um, obviously, big in the industry. Um, we just came to a mutual decision that, you know, it'd be best if we so called split the practice okay. um, and I'd go on my own journey. Uh, so, yeah, from January this year, it's been LBP sports psychology. So, Bazano, it's still in there as a name, but um, no, gone really well. I'm very excited. All the website stuff's going up today or went up this weekend. Social media stuff out since yesterday. Awesome. So yeah, it's, I'm excited. It's a, it's been, an, it's been a long time coming. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's great working in collaboration with someone. I think it's a completely new journey working by yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, taking on that role of business owner as well. Um, but it's been, it's been wonderful. I mean, I can't complain. It's post post COVID. It's, it's, yeah, it's been a challenge, but exciting at the same time. So give yeah. give us your details. Like, let's uh, get websites and that out of the way yeah, while we're doing plugs, plugs and perfect. shout outs. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's LBP, uh, sports psychology, uh, sport, not sports, sports psychology. Um, and then that'll be social media in terms of the LinkedIn account, um, Instagram, Facebook. Um, yeah basically all the all the ones that we need to cover and then as well as obviously the website that's up and running now and you can book through the website as well direct line to my email address as well as my cell phone number um and yeah you can look at all the services and the packages that are available cool. obviously very much sport related yeah. performance enhancement mainly um but yeah i mean we delve in, into a lot of things there's a bit of corporate training in there there's there's group psychology group sessions things like that so um, like I said, excited, taking a long time to get here, and uh, yeah, looking forward to it. So the main sort of business for you is yeah. sports psychology right, right now, yeah. right? Like seventy percent, eighty percent, or where are we? No, I think I think closer to ninety. Okay. Um, so when we're talking about sports psychology, I think that that is the big separation between you know sports psychology and mainstream psychology. Um, just a just a, a sort of disclaimer. I think the big thing that a lot of people in South Africa aren't really aware of is that you don't actually get a sports psychologist. In South Africa, or you're not allowed to call yourself that. Okay. Rather, um, in South Africa, you can only register as a psychologist. So whether it be a clinical or counselling psychologist, and then you can say with a specialisation in sport. Okay. So I am technically a registered counselling psychologist yeah. with a specialisation in sport. Um, there's not many places that do the specialisations anymore. Fortunately, I was one of those that could finish that side of the specialisation. Um, but yeah, we are we are all psychologists are actually counselling or clinical psychologists are the main two ones that have then gone and specialised in sport after that. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I've learned something new today. Mm. Um, I'm fascinated. How did you get into this? Was it was it a yearning to help people? Was it? Mm. The, I know you're a huge sports fan. Yeah. Um, was it the, sort of merging the two? Um, it started with just a passion for sport. I think you know, like you said, avid sports lover. Absolutely love it. I uh, played rugby, cricket. Uh, you know, did a bit of well tennis at the time. wasn't wasn't great at it. Golf, obviously, still great sport. Tennis, <laughs> great sport. No, absolutely. Um, so no, just avid sports lover. That you know, I, I said to my dad, I'm not really sure what I wanted to study at the time. Um, marks were 
okay enough to get into most things, but not everything. Um, I decided I wanted to maybe go the biokinetics route, kept me, kept me in sports. I went and did human movement science. At, at Tux? At Tux. Greatest university in the world, basically. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna disagree. Yeah. I'm not gonna I'm disagree. Just a little bit biased. <laughs> just a little bit. No, 100%. No, a wonderful, wonderful sporting faculty, which, mm. is, which is absolutely, I mean, it, it, it was right up my alley. So I did the human movement science thing. Um, Again, wasn't 100% sure at the time. I mean, I was three years in and still not sure where I was going to go with this and, and sort of how I was going to see where I saw my future. And then fortunately enough, at the middle of my third year, um, we had to take electives. And uh, one of my electives was sports psychology. I went and did it and I did quite well. And I thought, well, this is quite interesting. Yeah. And, and just the more I did it, you know, there were, there were two electives at the time. Only literally in six months, I changed my, made up my mind to go, well, I love this. Um, um, I did a bit of research and obviously the thing that you you get caught up with is that you have to do mainstream psychology. So you have to go do the clinical counseling, yeah. sort of go into that world. Um, but I did it. I was like, I'm going to brave it. I'm going to I'm going to go all the way. It's a, basically eight years of studying um, without your sort of internship year. Um, and I did it. I got into my honors, um, got into the honors program, which again, mainstream psychology, no sport related at all. Um, but I knew if I get into masters, um, which then if you get your masters, you can practice. And that's tough, eh? Yeah. To get into that, that's tough. I think it was 120 people that uh, 120 people that that applied, and only five of us that's got mad. in. That's so That is it's, mad. It's, it's it is yeah. I mean, look. Fortunately, I was extremely lucky. It was just right place, right time, sort of thing. Um, you know, being a male, there was a guy that was in the sport sort of things and, and professional, oh, uh, sort of a professor doing the sport. Uh, uh, elective at the time and uh he was looking for a new male to come in and and i just happened to be at the right place right time so got into my master's program went through it did the masters um actually worked at a rehab center for a year wow yeah so that was part of my internship again was that was that hectic very really and yet probably learned more there than i've learned in one year than any other year being a professional so and is that mainly drugs and drugs and alcohol yeah drugs alcohol and pills mainly um so my i don't want to say speciality but the area i focused on is mainly alcohol and and pills okay um but it it taught me so much i mean my previous colleague that i used to work with um fio he actually said to me that if i'd not worked there because he had worked there as well if i had not worked there he probably wouldn't have brought me into the practice purely because you just learn so much yeah um about people and and conditioning and sort of the, the the pitfalls that they might fall into and the challenges they experience and it's all sport related at the end of the day yeah. we can all relate it directly back to sport you know and what athletes go through so no it was absolutely wonderful learning curve um and then yeah got approached at the time and by theo and went in from there just you know went on the journey on the sporting journey and it's it's been great ever well, since congrats on yeah. everything thank so, you <laughs> so much cooler than my story where i was i keep t- telling tyler I literally got on a dare asked to go to Tux FM and audition and then I was told I was too boring for a DJ. And I was like, oh, that's okay. I'll get on with my studies. And anyway, the rest is history. Got called and then uh, started doing sports. So yeah, yeah. Much, your story is much cooler no, than no. mine. Way cooler. My story is just long. <laughs> <laughs> but it is fascinating for me that that sort of rehab center almost shaped you in a way because Absolutely. it got you out of your comfort zone and it got you dealing with real people. And what people forget Yes, you see sportsmen and women on these pedestals. You see them for the 18 minutes or the 90 minutes or the round of golf that they're playing. You don't see the real human beings. I mean, these are human beings. They're susceptible to pressure. They're susceptible to criticism. 
Um, and sometimes they are human beings at the end of the day. Absolutely. I think, I think just a comment on that, I think a lot of us have this perception with you know, elite athletes that they're the ones susceptible to anxiety and, and, and depression and, and pressure. And, but aren't those just daily emotions that, and daily experiences that all of us face? You know, and, and we're, our athletes are just in the limelight. So, you know, we, we, we buy into that and we try and solve their problems for them. And you know how we are. We're all, we all TV psychologists, TV referees and TV coaches, you know. So we'll sit there and go, but if I was him, I would have done this. And why didn't he do this? But we don't talk about each other's lives like that. Yeah. You know, we, it's just life has this way of life is challenging. I mean, let's be honest. Life is not always just highs. It's, there's a lot of lows in, included in that. But it's just in sport, we, we're so aware of it where it's just daily life. So as soon as you learn about the daily struggles and daily life, you can apply it directly to sport and start understanding your athlete better. And also know? live vicariously through these people. Absolutely. You know, we see Cristiano Ronaldo at the World Cup or Lionel Messi or yeah. Tiger Woods or whoever it may be. Um, Atemba Bavuma, for example, yeah. who's under the microscope for all the wrong reasons. Um, he's a quality player. But yeah. the fact of the matter is, and it is easy for us to sit and judge these guys. You know, we look at a, a Spoon Corsi case. Yeah. Um, it's grabbed headlines. We feared for the worst at some point. But the poor guy is just had, I don't, and I'm not you the professional here, but for, from what we understand, he's, he's succumbed to this anxiety or this pressure and he needed a break from the pressures of professional rugby. Absolutely. But to be so desperate that he has to try and escape um it's it's worrying and, and a concern are we doing enough for our athletes i think and that's that is exactly where you know having a psychologist as part of a team is is i mean it's 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 a it's a must um i think the the biggest challenge that a lot of or one of the biggest downfalls of a lot of, a lot of sports teams is they get mental coaches in um and certain psychologists that are very much performance enhancement minds that the mindset is all about performance enhancement meaning they come into a situation come into a room come in working with a one-on-one athlete how can we make your performances better but they're not looking at their holistic person they're not looking at the struggles that this person might be having at home the financial challenges that they might be going through and there is a an, an element of of dysfunction of impairment that happens outside of sport mm. outside of the, the the cricket field and and the, and the golf course they you know we are holistic beings. And unfortunately, if one area of my life is suffering, it's gonna impact the rest. Yeah. Uh, that's a fact. I mean, we, we, we look at daily things. I mean, if, if, if I wake up the morning and my wife, for example, is in, a, has a, is in a bad mood and she takes it out on me, for example, I'm gonna be in a bad mood. And I'm definitely gonna carry that over into my workspace. As much as I feel like I'm, you know, I'm quite neutral and, and you know, happy-go-lucky, but the reality is that I'm impacted at home. Yeah. And if, if someone is sick in my family, if, if you know, something's happening outside, if, if I had a bad day at work, I'm gonna carry, I'm gonna bring it home. Yeah. As much as I can try and be aware of it and mindful of it, the the reality is that it, it does impact. And I think that's where a case like Cebu, you know, we we've got a lot of performance specialists, and especially from the mental side, and and that's great, and it's it's wonderful working on the performance side of things and making you as an athlete better and how to cope with certain challenges and and pressures on the field, etc. But the reality is, how many of those conversations are actually happening around? How's your mom? Yeah. You know. How's your how's your girlfriend? How's your wife? How's how's your financial status looking at the moment? I don't think those conversations are being had with with a lot of athletes, and I think we we should we should make it more you know mainstream. It it brings me to the the whole. If we go back to twenty nineteen Rugby World Cup, yeah, um, the Springboks had a Skulk Brits sort of come into the mix. Yeah. Skulk Brits, I love the guy. Yeah, he's he he's a quality player, but he's probably not the best hooker. 
if you know what I'm trying to say, with all due respect, yeah, um, at that point in his career, at his age, yeah, but he's probably been brought into the side because yes, he can play on the wing and wherever else he plays, yeah. but he's probably a sounding board or someone who's almost like a an older brother figure to guys within the team, right? So Absolutely. I know the Springboks have got a sports sort of. Um, a psychologist who yeah. does the sports sort of side of things, That's but true. I often feel that these genius coaches have these guys in the squad just for that sort of brotherly vibe. Hey, geez, my girlfriend's having the, whatever it may be. Mm. Is that is that what, what you see? Is that how you read it? Look, it's how I interpret it. Yeah. Um, unless I'm obviously in the in the team room and and sort of sure. within the squad, I won't necessarily be able to tell you. But yeah, it is definitely my interpretation of why someone like that will go in. I am a little bit biased with Skulk. I think Skulk's amazing. I've yeah, always I loved it. I know he's a great um, guy. I played rugby and I was always the smaller the smaller hooker. I know it doesn't look <laughs> like it anymore, but I was a smallish hooker and I used to look up to Skulk. Um, but no, I think they did the same with Bobskin stat yeah. the year before, uh, the the World Cup before, and I definitely think you know having that experience, having that lived a certain type of life um you've experienced it you know we we always say experience is wasted on the old um and we wish that you know yeah. <laughs> as, exactly. as older guys with all the experience we could wish we could take it back 20 years and i think that's exactly what a guy like skulk brist can offer is that experience for the last 15 20 years of my career this is what i've been through this is how i went through it and you, you hit the nail on the head when you say it's a, he's a sounding board yeah um and even if it's not necessarily a signing board for a one-on-one -on -one individual, just maybe speaking up in the team room yeah. and just saying, hey, guys, have you guys thought about this? What about, you know, when I was in that situation four years ago, this is how I sort of dealt with it. And it just plants the seed in that athlete's mind to go, you know, maybe maybe he's onto something there. It's not maybe I don't have to be as nervous about it. Yeah. I don't have to be as anxious about it. Um, maybe I do need to go speak to someone if it's more mm. on a more severe case. Um, but 100%, I think he's someone excuse me, someone like that is, is perfect to have yeah. as part of a, a journey, you know, especially because a World Cup journey is a journey, isn't it? That's it? It's not just pitch up on the year and then we've got a squad and let's go. Yeah. It's team dynamics and relationships and all of that that plays a role. And Skulk was almost the perfect guy to get in there. Also, winning teams have a great team culture. Spot and on. Skulk is never short of a bit of banter and a joke and uh, we're going to have to have, have him on the show at some point. But I, have to. I, I think that team culture is important. That, and yeah. you look at Yes, the Springboks are world champions and they haven't played maybe the best rugby this year, but we don't need to get into that. But from a team culture point of view, it's also a reason why they've been successful is because they've got each other's backs. Um, you know, there's there's sort of this openness. That's the feeling I get from the outside and, and I'm speculating because yeah, I yeah. haven't been in the squad, but looking from the outside in and having been to a few training sessions, press conferences, a few games, you get the feeling like they're in a good space. Like yeah. they all get on well and understand each other. And I think... It's just this open sort of conversation and dialogue half the time. Absolutely. I think, you know, we talk about group dynamics and, and team dynamics. I think that is part and parcel of it is that space that you find yourself in in any moment within the team. I always take it back to to values. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer in in, in value driven team, a team with, with strong values are probably gonna perform at their to their to their ability or to their potential. Um a lot of teams that, that I've worked with in the past, you know, we've actually had to introduce values because they have no idea what it is. And, and, and values guide behavior. Um, and, you know, if, if I'll use something silly, but if, if honesty is a value within the team, honesty doesn't mean talking about lying, but honesty in, in light of, uh, did I give my all today? Yeah, accountability. I, accountability, yeah, 100%. you know. Um, 
and we can talk about values like that. I mean, and, and as soon as a team is value driven, I, f- I firmly believe that's when you're going to get the best performances out of them and not just as individuals, but as teams as well. So and is that a, sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. you there. You just uh, given me an idea. Is that that value pillar? All right. Yeah. Part of that winning success mindset or the champion mindset. I mean, because this is your realm that we're dealing with here. So for someone who's not had to deal with that before or been uh, so clued up with it, is that just part of that? Because a winning team is not just about the performance on the park. No. I think, especially when it comes to team sports, I think individual may be a touch different. But I think it's 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 the foundation of team performances. And I, I'll tell you why. I think, and especially at an elite level, you look at the Proteas, you look at the Springboks, you look at all our elite teams. I think a lot of them are, arrive at a space when they get into the change room, they know they can play the game. You know, you don't have to teach Dwayne Vermeulen how to tackle. Yeah. You know, you don't have to teach AB how to hit a cricket ball. Mm-hmm. They know what to do and they know where their skill set lie. But unfortunately, well, the best teams in the world, fortunately, have got a big value-driven sort of system in place. And you talk about the pillars and it's exactly that. I mean, what are the Springboks' value systems? We wouldn't know from the outside, mm-hmm. but they should. You know, and, and the pro tier is the same. And, and I think anyone, any mental coach or, or, or sports psychologist worth their weight in gold has introduced that at some point and the coaches are driving it and the players are buying into it. And at the end of the day, we aren't, we don't give athletes rules to say, you know, uh, Kirtley Beal, great example. You don't tell him, listen, you can't, uh, you can't go out at 12 o'clock at night. Tonight's curfew night. Kirtley's not going to listen to you. Mm. But if he buys into the team culture and the values that you've, you've instilled as a team and you all believe in and you all buy into as a team, that's the thing that's going to stop him from going out. That's the thing that's going to get him into bed early. You know, yeah. Commitment as an example. What is commitment? What does it entail? Um, you know, listing all the things that lie under commitment. And if, if, if you have openness about a value like commitment and that is part of your, your value system within the team, someone like a Kirtley Beal might buy into it. Yeah. You know, um, but don't give him rules. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's parameters. Okay, I got you. So it's not about the parameters. It's about believing in something. 100%. Okay. And if and if, if as soon as I believe in something, there's a bigger purpose, isn't there? Yeah. And especially within the team. If I am going to go to bed early, you know, eat right, do do what I need to do and, and mentally prep for myself for tomorrow's event or, or match or tournament, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm not letting my team down and I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm buying into that value system. And that's, that's where we want to get our athletes, yeah. you know. It doesn't always happen. We don't always get it right, but it's what we try and do, you so, know. So then this is my next question. BMT, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know it's, a, it's an interesting subject, a yeah. big match temperament. Is that something that is derived from preparation, from values, from team culture or... Is it something that some individuals just have because they can deal with pressure better than others? So I'm going to throw you a curveball, if you don't mind. (laughs) I've just thrown you one. (laughs) Um, I think the the narrative around BMT is very much, it is is in the world, obviously, but I think South 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 African sport buys into this big match temperament mentality quite strongly. Um, I've sort of moved away from it, to be honest, in the last four or five years. And, and the main reason for that is if you look at, and we go back to values, you look at someone like Gilbert Tanoka. I don't know if you know who Gilbert Tanoka is. The, he's the sports psychologist for the All Blacks. Okay. He's, he's also the most capped All Black in history. Yeah, on the sides. Yeah. Most all black, capped All Black in history because they, and he's also the, the Black Caps uh, sports psychologist. 
incredibly successful, been there for over 12 years now, I think it was. And he brought this thing in of, you know, a, a, a set of values, a, a culture, if you will, and um, value-driven behavior. I mean, they, they would have things that, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on the, on the, no, on the you, podcast, but... You go for it. He, Tyler he, will shout at you. <laughs> he brought in this thing of the no dickhead policy, okay. you know, uh, and if, they, if there is someone that the team believes, you know, doesn't belong, then the team will get rid of that person. Yeah. Uh, he also brought in the thing of cleaning the sheds, or the team did. Cleaning the sheds. I mean, when you have Richie McCaw and, and, and Dan Carter cleaning the cleaning the change rooms at Ellis Park after they leave because it's their turn to do it, you know, I think you've got something yeah. going there. Yeah. Um, and they very much bought into this this value driven behavior because he had this belief. And going back to the big match temperament, he had this belief that why are we making certain matches bigger than they should be? Because whether you playing against Japan or playing against the box. A big match is a big match. You put yeah. on the all-black jersey, you're essentially going to go focus on your process and you're going to go ab give it your absolute yeah. all. In South Africa, we have got this thing of big match temperament. I mean, we, we, I, I hate to go back to it because I'm a, I'm a staunch Springbok supporter, yeah. um, close to diehard. And, um, you know, seeing us lose to Japan, yeah, I mean, it, it happens. Losses do happen. Yeah. But 100% in my heart believe, you know, we, we perceive that game as not a big game. But man, put us at Ellis Park. You know, get a sports psychologist thing. Come, I think, yeah, I, I know the name of it, but I mean, get a sports psychologist mm. and come give us this huge motivational talk. We lift ourselves and we pump ourselves up. But can we do that for four years? Yeah, every game. That's where values for me, you know, drives that behavior. You know, it shouldn't be about motivation. Mm. Motivation is fleeting. Motivation always it, it waxes and wanes, and and it will leave you at some point during your performances. But Values will never leave you, and especially if you buy into it. So, Gilbert Tanoka doesn't believe in big match temperament because he believes every game is a big match. Okay. Where, uh, but I quite he, like that, actually. Yeah. You know, it's just a, a concept that I've tried to bring into my athletes as well is that there's no one tournament is not bigger than the other. I had a, had a golfer the other day that, that now played at the Alfred Dunhill, and, um, you know, he was he was working himself up because, you know, he felt yeah, there's a big first time in and there's going to be a big tournament and it's so much bigger than all the rest. But I'm like, but what changes? Why is this bigger than six months ago when you were playing in the Big Easy mm. or a year ago when you were an amateur? You know, it's, it's no difference. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the same level, it's the same processes that need to be applied. I get the emotions behind it and yeah. I get the thoughts and the perceptions that it is big and, and we have to manage that, obviously. Um, but as soon as you as athlete can start buying into that certain things aren't bigger than the others, I think that's when we, we're on the right track, you know. <laughs> so I'm going to address the elephant in the room Please do. in a moment. but. It's funny, I've been doing quite a bit of work um, uh, on the Standard Bank Pro-Am series with women's golf, yeah. and you know we've got some incredible women's golfers there. <laughs> fantastic. Um, there was one golfer who, uh, she's been playing on the European Tour, she's a fantastic golfer, and she credits her change in performance to uh, the mental side of it. So she's been seeing a... Can I say a sports psychologist now? Yeah, because yeah, you said absolutely. I'm not allowed to no, say it. Well, we, we, we still call ourselves sports <laughs> and performance psychology uh, psychologists, <laughs> okay. but no, no, please do. Okay, yeah. so forgive me if I... No, please do. But um, she's got a process, literally from when she puts the ball down on the tee yeah. to adjusting her pants or whatever it may be, her cats or glasses, whatever, something she says to her caddy, even though it's like, you know, the process is exactly the same. And she, since she's adopted that, She's been playing incredible golf. Mm. So I, I understand what you're saying. It is that process and in that sort of, that this is just another hole. This is just one shot of it. And, and maybe I'm breaking it down no, to the layman here, but I know you deal a lot with golfers. Yeah. That sort of 
confidence in the process, right? Is, is that is that what it's about? Part Absolutely. of it, at least. Absolutely, I think that's that's where routines and processes come into play. Um, I think I think just you know sort of just understanding the difference between the two is quite important. I think when when we talk about all performances have a process that's behind it. You know, a, a colleague of mine once said, "There's no there's no coincidence to performance. So if you're playing bad, there's probably a reason for it, and if you're playing well, there's a reason for it. You know, it's 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 understanding. There's no coincidence to it. There's a reason that you did it." And a, and a big part of my work is to understand what are those performance elements? What is the process that underlies good performances for you? Um, and when we're talking about routines, for example, I mean, you and I wake up every morning, we brush our teeth, mm. right? That is, the, that is the set of physical movements that we do. We are part of a routine. We have a routine every morning. But it doesn't mean I'm mentally in the same space, am I? Just because I'm brushing my teeth every morning and following the same pattern doesn't mean I'm mentally thinking the same yeah. things, you know, depending on the weather and how I wake up and what mood and there's a multitude of things that can happen. And that's what happens with athletes. Just because they're following the same set of physical patterns doesn't mean that I'm mentally in the same yeah. space. And that's where we talk about process. And, and for me, that's where, and especially in individual sports, I think that's where process comes, comes through massively strong. Um, is if I can do the same set of physical movements but have the same mental process behind it too, where I know there's deliberateness, there's purposefulness, yeah. and there's, there's a reason for why I'm doing this and thinking this and because it gives me that result. Yeah. Absolutely, that's when, that's when you get the best out of athletes, and that's when they feel confident, don't they? They feel like if I do my process well, you know, I'll, I'll yeah. perform to the level that I'm capable of. Where it actually starts though before is not necessarily in the tournament, but is on the range. Yeah. Because you know, if I'm on the driving range, can I follow the same set, same process? If I'm Gary Kirsten was a was a great advocate for or great example of of following a good process. I mean, he'd always step away from the crease, stand there, tap his shoe, whatever the case may be, look at the look at the umpire, the square leg, and then walk his way back in. But he had a certain set of just because it, it looks the same physically, but he had the same mental process before each shot, focusing on the right focus points, what's going to work for him. And that's where process is, is massive. I imagine someone like Steve Smith is exactly the same. Look, I mean, we can delve into the yeah, superstitious yeah. side of things too yeah. uh, and the role that plays, but it's all about process. And, and you know, you mentioned the J Japan loss uh, yeah. that World Cup in Brighton. Um, South Africa losing to the Netherlands at the T20 World Cup. Look, T20... The margins are even smaller than in the other formats of the game, Spot and on. they are still very small. But a lot of South Africans were outraged that yes. we could lose to the Netherlands. But sometimes it's just a bad day at the office. Um, now that we've thrown the BMT yeah. out, out of the window, how do you sort of apply that? You've got two national teams. Springboks have won three World Cups. Uh, some of the most talented players in the world. Uh, crickets, the Proteas, some of the most talented players in the world, um, but can't get over the line. Uh, yeah, I know we could be here all day. <laughs> no, but, we could. Uh, um, I think. I think the. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's there's certain labels that that comes with this sure. topic of conversation um, that we give our athletes, and 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 obviously we have expectations as as the public of how we expect our teams to play, and especially with the, with the potential and the ability. I think Chris Morris on this podcast made a made a very valid point if there's just someone better you on, better than you on the day because it's such small fine margins then it is just what it is yeah. you know he he or she was just better than you on the day but what do we do after that and the repercussions of that is is we label our athletes as as certain things and and you know we throw, can throw the choker term out there and, and all the rest but it's it's exactly that we have certain perceptions of of what we expect of our athletes if if those athletes aren't necessarily performing at their optimal and, and the chances of team sports, and that's where team sports is a little bit different because I think if an individual athlete has a bad day, it, it shows directly. Yeah. 
But the chances of six, seven individuals having a bad day, you know, a little bit less. Um, so you don't ex you expect one or two guys, for example, the top six of our batting order, to maybe have a bad day or two. Yeah, if and it's that's spicy and, and it's doing a bit, you know, hundred percent, yeah, completely understandable. I think when the c conversation needs to start happening when six or seven guys, you know, start start having that. The, the the problem that I have with with all these labels and and you know these expectations that we have of our athletes is almost programming them that that loss is bad. Um, I think New Zealand culture in terms of rugby and cricket and sports in general, but especially rugby, I mean, Brazil with football. I mean, you can imagine it's a, it's a, it's, you know, it's almost a religion, isn't it? It's the fourth quarterfinal, <laughs> right? That they've gone out. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and, and I think because when you start making it that, and it's, it's athletes start feeling that, don't yeah. they? Athletes start feeling that pressure once again. And, and again, I'm not in that team. And, and as much as I'd love to be at, at some point within, you know, just a fly on the wall in certain of these teams. I, I don't know what happened or what was the preparation like before, you know, the, the Proteas lost to the Netherlands. You know, I don't know if the same processes were, were followed. I don't know if we started perceiving that game as lesser than the one against India. You, you don't know. Um, are we a nation that loves to step up to the big moment? Absolutely, I believe yeah. so. I mean, to go back to Super Rugby days when the Bulls won, won three Super Rugby's. I mean, it's just an you you might if you were going to beat them you're going to beat them in the in the in the round robins you weren't yeah. going to beat them in the playoffs just because i think we we have developed this mentality of let's step up yeah the problem is it's not consistent isn't it it's not doesn't provide longevity and and i think that's where like i going back to the the values thing i think the the best teams in the world are the ones that have a certain culture and a certain value system behind them that that governs their behaviors and their per their perception of each game is is very similar you know it's it's their focus is very much on them yeah where i think us is focused on a multitude of things so then know. let me ask you this um and this is not a slight on any mm. specific player but leadership is is a huge thing so you've got a guy like sia khaleesi leading the Springboks, who's he gets on with everyone i mean he's one of the most likable guys in the world does his job on the park, but you yeah. can see he's like galvanized that team through his leadership philosophy. You look at other sports um, where you have a, a captain who comes in and it might not quite work because he's the best player or something like that. And then you've got other guys that might not be the best player, but they're the best leaders for the job. And they make a huge difference to the team environment. And I, and I imagine that leads back to what you're saying about instilling the values, you know, so... The All Blacks have had great captains over the years. Richie McCall, you know, uh, he sort of led them to whatever. But the, the question for me is, that is probably one of the most important things is to get your captain right for the day. Because I know circumstances mm. don't always allow that, you know, sure. and this is not picking out any particular yeah. player, but you sometimes have a reluctant captain that comes into the mix. And then it's, it's and we've seen it at national teams in the men's, women's, whatever it is. We, people have come in and been reluctant captains or someone's been injured or whatever it is. And it's a difficult process to sort of instill those values because they don't actually want to be there maybe. Absolutely. I think the same, the same can be said with, with coaches. Um, you know, seeing Eddie Jones get the sack now and, 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 you know, an assistant stepping in. Assistant can be as great, you know, in a four-year period as, as anyone in the world. But, you know, having take, taken over World Cup preparation, short time, don't think there's going to be much change there, you know, a, a massive impact. Um, I think when we're talking about leaders, I think, you know, there's obviously natural born leaders and I, my, straight away my, my mind goes to someone like a John Smith, mm. you know, where, I mean, little shout out, he was in the same school as I, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I mean, I look at him and I, 
I mean, absolutely massive amounts of respect for John Smith. I think he's a natural born leader. I think he's always, there's just the way he does, the way he does things and the way he sees things and, and talks to people. I mean, I don't think anyone ever had anything bad to say about John Smith or not that I'd ever heard of. Um, but I think there's a natural born leader. You look at someone like a, a Sia Khaleesi, for example. I don't know, again, I don't know his, his entire story. I've only read his book and all the rest. But for me, Sia was a created leader in terms of he came into a system and players bought into his personality. Mm -hmm. Players bought into the kind of person that he was. And he became a leader throughout that time. I think he became a leader with the structures that were in place and the teams that were, the team dynamics that were in place. I think Rassi had a big part to yeah. play there. And surrounding himself with other leaders or like-minded players, you know, Ibn Etzebeth, I mean, him and Sia are inseparable. You know? Exactly. I, I, look, I think at that level, it's a very difficult thing. I think we all have this perception. We, where did we all play sport? Where did we all see leaders and captains as, as youth sports? So mm. we look at, you look at primary school, maybe high school sport. We look at our leaders and there we expected them to do what? Go in the toss, um, decide it's a very important decision whether we bat or bowl. Yeah. You know, that's what our leaders were doing at the time. Our leaders weren't galvanizing a team. You know, our leaders weren't coming to have a, a talk in the ear. You know, dealing you know, with the media no. and... Yeah. And I think that's where leadership for me at that level is is absolutely is huge. Yeah. I mean, there's everyone can make a decision whether I'm going for polls or not. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I might be stepping on some toes here, but I think anyone in the team can make a decent enough decision reading the situation to go, do we go for polls or do we go for touch? But when you're standing on in the polls and you're 15-0 down, that's where your leader steps up. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where someone like a, a, a Khaleesi 100% will, will galvanize the team. And, and very often, because he surrounds himself with or surrounding, surrounds himself with certain individuals, Dwayne Vermeule and Ibn Etzebeth, mm. also leaders within the team, Andre Pollard, I mean, those guys often do the team talks and often do the talking behind yeah. the polls. But Sia has created that space for them to do so. Yeah. You know? And that's where, for me, leadership is huge. It's, it's not necessarily this, this old perception uh, of what a leader is. It's, it's, it, it evolves. It's, it's ever-flourishing. And it's not, yeah think he's he's fantastic when it comes to that so how would you describe then a champion's mindset because that goes hand in hand with leadership values um talented individuals because south africa is blessed with talent we've got talent everywhere you just look at a anywhere in south africa you know where there's talent it doesn't have to be at your your model c schools it could be anywhere we've got talent you know um what is a champion's mindset in your opinion it's a, it's a it's a quite a broad question um and and i don't want to give you a broad answer um obviously it's unique to each and every single person um i think that's the one challenge that we as psychologists have it is a social science which means that it's relative and uh, you know to each and every person and every person is different personality yeah. factors play a part here and all the rest i think the the if we're working backwards we what we uh, we often do is we look at a sport and we look at what are the processes involved to compete at a high level yeah you know and we'll look at the performances, we'll look at the focus points, we'll look at you know sort of the performance enhancement areas that a lot of people will look at. And then we'll sort of work, work backwards from, okay, well, where are we currently? You as an athlete, where's the team currently? And how can we buy more into that? Where do we need to improve? Where do we need to involve, sorry, evolve? And I think when it comes to what is a champion mindset, I mean, you know, the, the first thing that often comes up in people's minds is, is mental toughness. But, what underlies mental toughness? You know, there's so many things in there and so many mental tools in there that we can we can use. But the reality is that there's there, there has to be large amounts of acceptance. There has to be a, a focus on the process in the moment. Um, going on, adding on to that in the moment is is being able to be in the moment. Um, you know, sixty research has shown that you know fifty five to sixty percent of our lives we are either in the past or in the future. 
you know, with our thoughts. Yeah. And and now we're talking about Guilty. athletes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, someone once said to me, my supervisor actually once said to me that, you know, we always talk about being in the moment, being in the moment, and that's fantastic. You know, but people, people with depression have got too much past in their present, and they're always bringing past experiences into their present mentally. People with anxiety are always future-orientated, so they're always bringing their future into their present. What if and when this and how do I deal with that? Um, and I think as soon as we can get athletes into a space where they are able to focus on the process, focus on the process in the moment, mm. um, and have an element of resilience behind that, I think that's that's already you know that's a great starting point. Mm. From there, you can start looking at you know performance enhancement tools. You know, yeah. What can we do? Mindfulness. We can start looking at you know self talk, positive self talk. Uh, we can start looking at you know body language. We can mm. start looking at all these avenues. But there must be a, a fundamental starting point, and that is understanding of self, understanding of, you know, the cognitive process of thoughts leads to emotions, leads to performances, i.e. behavior. And once an athlete can understand him or herself in a certain sphere, in a certain realm, I think that is that is huge. Yeah. And that's when, you know, you start developing things like resilience, you start developing things like acceptance, you start developing things like being able to bring yourself into the moment, you know. It's interesting you said that. I, I think the depression and anxiety thing, mm. it's not just athletes who suffer from that. You know, I think mental health in South Africa, the stats are shocking. I think not enough people feel that they can get help yeah. uh, from what I've been seeing. I think there was an, and there's an article, uh, Vitz had an article, mental health in South Africa is at shocking levels, but people are not seeking help. Now, how do you apply that sort of to your everyday life? So obviously you, you, you have your athletes that you give this advice to sure. and you guide them. But for, for the, the viewers on YouTube and listening on iTunes, what is this? Because January is a stressful time of year. There's a lot of optimism and hope, but a lot of people are facing debts. They're facing all sorts of pressures. What's your sort of advice to them Um and I know this is a broad stroke. Yeah. Forgive me. <laughs> no, no. But but breaking it down and and what was fascinating what you said that the depression is in the past, the anxiety, mm -hmm. the future, that 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 just uh, blew my mind a little bit. I must be honest. Look, I think I think the starting point here, CS, is is talk about it. I yeah. think I mean, I think what what a lot of us do is is we've got this perception and this mentality that you know cowboys don't cry sort of you know i'm a south african male yeah. i'm not allowed to say anything or cry anything i think we were we were brought up in, in in certain ways and there's certain perceptions about mental health that we we still need to break certain stigmas that we still need to break i mean getting not not going too far away from the topic but you know in, in south africa sports psychology hasn't boomed just yet purely because an athlete seeing a psychologist, there's still this perception that there must be something wrong with me and they don't want that. They don't want to go see a psychologist because there might be something wrong with me. You know, where the rest Is of the world- Is that a cultural thing? Absolutely, I think you know, that- like yeah. how we brought up, like you said, it does, we are that whole cowboys don't cry vibe, yeah. but it's men and women. Absolutely, and, and I think, you know, the rest of the world, for me, is slowly getting it right. And it starts with awareness. It starts with things like this, having a podcast and, and, and having a conversation with someone that is, in the, is working in that industry and going, well, you know, go have a chat. There's nothing wrong with having a chat. And having a chat doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. Um, you know, often I say to people, oh, so you're experiencing negative emotions. That is 100% of the world is experiencing yeah. what you are experiencing yeah. or has experienced at some point what you're experiencing. Um, and, and I think it starts with breaking, breaking down those walls, breaking down the barriers. So for me, you know, people, like you say, there's optimism, there's hope, there's excitement for next year maybe things are going to be different but like you say they are sitting with all these challenges and 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 negative experiences what are they going to what what is the impact that has on them 
that's where talking about it is is huge. You know, when you when you're carrying something with you and, and you don't speak about it, it, it tends to manifest in in different ways, doesn't it? It tends to manifest in our yeah. health and you know our work experiences, our sleep. relationships, yeah. sleep. Oh, oh my word! Don't even get me started on sleep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, and the thing is. Every psychologist needs a psychologist. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have to, I have to do checkups once a month. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Absolutely. I mean, that's part and parcel yeah. with the, the industry. Right? Absolutely. Also, because I bought into it's okay to go see someone. Why is it that we've got this perception that, you know, if, if my toe hurts, I can go see a doctor. But, man, if I'm feeling low and, and down and, geez, I'm just worried about everything cons- consistently or continuously and I can't sleep. Why is it that I don't want to speak to someone? Why is it that I feel like I, had, I need to speak to maybe my, my better half and, and they're going to make it better for me? Mm-hmm. They might do. They might relieve some of that, but not all of it. Yeah. Not that we can ever relieve all of it, but you know, it starts with breaking down the barriers, taking that first step, just, just going to speak to someone. Um, and then the second part for me, you know, getting back to answering your question, I just think is, is awareness, awareness of self, awareness of how does this... What is what is the what is psychology? What is the mental thing? You know, I often say in in sport, going back to sport to answer your question, there's four areas of performance sport, and it's physical, technical, tactical, and then mental. Mm. We all focus on the physical stuff: strength, conditioning, fitness. Great, I'm I'm huge. I'm a boxer. Yeah, I'm this massive fit guy. Technically, I'm technically fantastic. Fastest hands in the West. Like you know, yeah. you're not going to stop me. Tactically, I've got game plans for every every time I, I box. I've got game plans for other guys. But have you worked on the mental component? Yeah. Because if you haven't, those three aren't going to be as effective as they ca- could possibly be. And for a lot of times, we work on results. If, if, for example, I'm feeling down and I'm feeling a bit low and I go into a board meeting and the board meeting goes quite well, I look at the results and go, well, you know, it actually went well, so I can deal with this. I can manage it. Yeah, in that moment, you could. But is it sustainable? Yeah. Will, will you be able to do that for the next 10, 15 years? The answer is probably not. Yeah. And I think that's where just going, well, can you understand self? Do you understand that your thoughts directly impact your emotions and your emotions directly impact your performance? So, 100%. So is there an onus on our athletes to be driving the conversation, to be driving the awareness? Because uh, Paddy the Batty Pimblets, yep. the UFC star, yep. Tyson Fury, heavyweight champion yep. of the world, been very outspoken about their own struggles with it. I mean, and they're just two guys that I've just named. There's there's many, many athletes that have yeah. come out and said that they've dealt with these things and it's just part of who they are. But do we have a responsibility, our athletes in particular, to say, talk to someone? It doesn't have to be a sports psychologist. It can be yeah. someone, a mentor or something like that. Absolutely. I think, I think the onus is on them. I think what, I mean... I'll give you an example. I think with a lot of the captains, and I've heard this before, I haven't seen it firsthand, but a lot of our national captains, we actually do media training with them. We actually tell them, you know, teach them how to speak to the media, what to say, what not to say. How many times has a psychologist sat down with a captain and go, have you noticed any change in behavior with certain athletes? How did the loss affect the team, do you mm. reckon? You know, who do, I need to, who do I need to speak to? When has a captain ever gone to someone and said, well, listen, I think you need to go see him or her or whatever the case may be. And there's not enough awareness. I, I, Joe Marler's a big driver of, yeah. the, of that. I mean, you, you mentioned the other two now. Um, for me, and, and I, I alluded to it earlier, but um, Freddie Flintoff was, you know, I was still studying and Freddie Flintoff came out and he, all the struggles that he went through. And ben, Stokes. I, ben Stokes. Ben yeah, Stokes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's absolutely huge. And, and I think we've got this perception. We read autobiographies 
I mean, I've done enough of them to know we read autobiographies and you just see the brilliance of it. And then you see the, 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 yeah, the, the struggles and they, they lead, they allude to certain challenges that they've had, but I mean, no one ri- reads a book to be down, right? No. So, and books aren't going to sell if they tell you the real struggles that they're going through. Um, but the reality is that it's probably happening to 90% of our athletes. So yes, the onus does lie upon those that have a voice, um, those that can. I mean, you look at any movement that starts, it starts with people that have a voice yeah. and, and, and the people that do have a voice take take the responsibility to do so. And I absolutely believe we need to give the people that do have voices a voice. Um, and as soon as that starts happening, I think the, the perception will start changing. I do think it's changed in certain parts of the world, but getting back to South Africa, absolutely yeah. not. No chance. And would you say that we need to go as back as far as a primary school, high school scenario? Because the pressure on high school kids at the moment, even primary schools, I mean, I'm not just saying in the, on the sports field, I'm saying in the classroom, is un, it's unsustainable. And I just uh, feel we need to do more in that space because kids are under so much pressure, parents are under pressure. The more we talk and communicate and have some sort of dialogue, don't even mention the other problems in South Africa right now. I'm mm. just saying the pressure alone would you say it needs to happen as far down as primary school sort of thing? Absolutely. I think the, the, the one thing that I've noticed with younger athletes is they often feel like they're going through it alone. And, and like I said to you just now, 99, 100% of people have experienced at some point what, you've, what you are experiencing in terms of negative thoughts and, and negative emotions in terms of broad brush strokes at the moment. But, um, and it's, just, it's also getting that message across that what you're experiencing is normal. You know, um, yeah, if it's if it's impacting on daily life and and, you know, impacting physiologically in terms of sleep and things like that, then yes, then maybe there's a there's room to talk to someone. And there are people now available that you can talk to, especially a lot of schools bringing in educational psychologists yeah. full time, which is absolutely brilliant. I love it. Um, but absolutely. I think it's, it's for me. It, it does start there. It does start with doing courses, talks, workshops, whatever, whatever it takes, just to get the message across that you're not alone, you know, that you are not experiencing this by yourself. And that even when it comes to, it doesn't even have to be, you know, we talk about the four areas of sports, psychology is performance enhancement, performance dysfunction, performance impairment, and then performance termination. Even if it isn't impairment or dysfunction where there's something wrong with you, you know, even if it is just an athlete struggling with the stresses of why am I not performing more? Why am I not better? Just even that can grow into something that is debilitating, something that is, you know, going to impact performance at a later stage. It's, it's, it's working with uh, coaches. For, uh, look, I've got a big passion for working with coaches. Um, you know, I think in the world of psychology, a lot of people keep the information for themselves and they go, but I'm the professional. Yeah. I, I studied forever and I need to keep my information to myself. My IP. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I'm like, listen, but if every single person in the world is experiencing what you work in, why is this not more, you know, common in terms of the knowledge? And I'm just going, well, it's for me, and especially with coaches, teachers, that's, that's where I would be impacting. I mean, a big drive for me is coaching the coaches. You know, how can we coach coaches that they don't need me to come in as a sports psychologist to work with a team for six months? What if I work with a coach for six months because then every team that he works with for the next six years, you know, he's effective and exactly. he knows how to read into things and he knows what group dynamics are and team dynamics and things like that. So, and, and, and going back to sort of everyday life, are we teaching teachers? Are we are we working with parents to to take note of these things? I think if you look it up, you can find that information. But why is that information not freely flowing? Why is it not just in your face sort of thing? You know, uh, I do think changing the mindset of our older generation is important. <laughs> um, I do think you know if I look at my grandparents, like 
I still think they'd go, oh, so you're a psychologist? I go, yeah, and they'll go, I'm assuming now, but they'll probably go, oh, so so people pay you to talk? And I'll go, yeah, yeah, and they'll actually give you money, and I'll go, yeah. And, and it's literally that, it's breaking that perception that, you know, or that misconception that seeing a psychologist is bad, it's, it's, there's something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. You are a normal individual, and what you're experiencing is normal. And as soon as we get that across, man, I think, I think the world will change. And I assume it can start with a cup of coffee with a friend. Absolutely. You know, like as simple as that as a starting point and and have the courage to say, listen, I'm going through stuff. Yeah. I need someone to listen. Absolutely. Uh, my friend is my wife in that instance. You know, it's just, I live by the quote of the, the greatest gift you can give someone is the purity of your attention. I mean, it's catharsis. That's the therapeutic process, you know, is starts with just being attentive, being there, being present and being able to share your story, whatever that may be is and someone actually listening and not just hearing you but actually listening to yeah. you and and getting what you're saying and and not even having to say a word you know that is therapeutic in itself um and i wish more people took note of that because i think we we're in this hustle bustle world where instant gratification and you know racing thoughts and you know i don't have half an hour to have a coffee with you because i've got a meeting that i need to make in midrand or whatever the case may be for me just half an hour yeah might be the difference between that person giving up or not so let's you know? commit here to 2023 we're going to be more present if 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 the world would be more present with the people in their lives we'd make a huge impact um i look at you look at parents that just just give give your child 30 minutes to tell them let your child ask them how their day was and let them just share their day yeah. ups and downs but just listen don't give advice just listen you know if if your significant other if you see they're going through a bad time just put a make a cup of coffee like you said make a cup of coffee ginger fox um <laughs> make a cup of coffee and Did just you get that time <laughs> okay cool. uh make a cup of coffee and just go and sit down yeah have a have a cup of coffee and just be or attentive. tea whatever it is whatever it glass be. of water absolutely yeah just be attentive. I think yeah. the, the world will, you know, will, will evolve from there. I think from a psychological point of view, I mean, that's what we want to get to. I mean, yes, I would be labeled as a professional, but I would probably not, I'd probably be out of a job if the world took note of that, yeah. you know, <laughs> which I'm right with. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sean, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, keep up the amazing work. I know thanks, yeah. a lot of athletes are benefiting from uh, your, your guidance and input right now. And long may it continue and good luck with the new venture. Thank and you. Um, yeah, I think, being present is one of the big things I've taken out and that we definitely need more people to stand up and say it's okay to not be okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Um, yeah, hope there was something that a little pearl of wisdom every now and then that someone can take from it. But yeah, much appreciated and I uh, look forward to our next chat. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks.